0: is 80s revisited i'm your producer jesse sedgely and now your host trey harris i'll be coming for her and i'll be coming for you too sure you will and i'll be waiting
1: you are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before Where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun.
0: Where the beautiful...
1: Stay and see the
0: show, it's really good. The brutal... I want Tom Cody. And the
1: brave all meet... From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. The The streets are burning up here in this rock and roll fantasy episode of 80s Revisited. Welcome back, everybody, to your latest blast from the past. It's me, your host, in a street of concrete right now. Trey Harris with me as always. My producer Jesse Sedgley yes, might be in a stream of water if it's raining in Baton Rouge. Is it rain, currently raining in Baton Rouge, Louisiana?
0: It probably is.
1: <laughs> there you go. That, just so everybody knows he's in, in on that in joke. If you live in Baton Rouge, it rains half the year. so yeah. <laughs> It's a pretty good guess. To More assume than that Seattle. It's, Yeah, it rains about as much as it does in this movie, actually. (laughs) Which is supposed to be, I guess, a fictionalized, stylized version of Chicago. But again, welcome back, everybody. As we talk about a movie that, honestly, probably is a legitimate cult classic in regards that it's not transcended. Like, we had that conversation a couple weeks ago, I think, with Spinal Tap to where it's... You know, this is legit, like, if somebody says, hey, you've seen Streets of Fire? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? That's the answer you're going to most commonly give. But the people who know... No. So hopefully more people will know after I hype it up this episode because this is the first time I've seen this movie. And spoiler alert, I really, really liked it. But we'll get into the deets in just a minute. First, let's get on with the facts. It released June first, 1984. IMDB gives it a 6.7. Rotten Tomatoes, 67% critics, 70% audience. So again, four weeks in a row to my recollection, we have, you know, less than Three percent, three or less percent difference between audience and critics on the movies we've been doing. See how long that holds up. Fourteen point five million dollar budget estimated, of course, opened at two point four. Pretty good opening for 1984. However, that was only good enough to get it the number five spot for the week. Number one that week was Star Trek three, the search for Spock, which we've done on the podcast. And number two was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and its uh, I didn't actually. Not its first week, because it was obviously number one in its first week, and I neglected to write the number. Mm. Let's see if it's still up real quick. I can instantly correct it, because my window should still be open. Indiana Jones in its second its second week. So in its second week, it went down 35.3% to the number two spot due to the opening of Star Trek Three. But yeah, Streets of Fire, number five for its opening week, would go on to domestically gross $8 million, and no info on worldwide or rentals, but obviously was not a success making back... Uh, little over half its budget back. Directed by, in my opinion, the great Walter Hill, uh, mainly because The Warriors, 48 Hours, uh, Schwarzenegger, Red Heat, uh, and three episodes of HBO's Tales from the Crypt. He also wrote this one. Uh, He also wrote The Warriors, 48 Hours, Alien 3, which uh, a lot of people, you know, like, oh, Alien and Aliens are the only good ones. I honestly think the Alien series didn't get terrible until uh, Covenant. Uh, but that's just me. You know, Alien 3, I think it works. It, it harkens back to the first one. Uh, I like the ending. You know, 3 was good enough. 4, it's a 90s action movie with aliens. Uh, you know, it's it's got its charm. But anyway, uh, he also wrote Last Man Standing with the now not acting Bruce Willis. And he did have a co-writer for this, a Mr. Larry Gross, who he worked with on 48 Hours and its sequel, Another 48 Hours. Shout out to the sequels that, like, you know, utilize the name of the first one when doing the sequel. You know, Alien, Aliens, 48 Hours, Another 48 Hours. I like that one. it's not just lazy to just add the two and a tagline behind it. I think that's a little more creative, and especially when the title lends it to that. Uh, this Honestly, one of the biggest stars of this movie, the cinematographer, Mr. Andrew Laszlo. Veteran of the podcast, he did Inner Space, First Blood, The Warriors, which it shows in the first shot of this movie. Uh, and we just talked about him a couple weeks ago because he did Star Trek V. Uh, the score at least the one that was used in the film, was by Rye Cooter. Great name. (laughs) He also did some music work for uh, Dead Man Walking. Uh, Real quick note, I think, I'll make sure, did I put it in the trivia? In case I didn't, anyway, but Hans, I mean, not Hans Zimmer, excuse me. Last week's uh, composer we talked about, James Horner, uh, actually did a couple of versions of the score for this film, but Walter Hill threw them all out and went with one by Rye Cooter. But the star of this movie really isn't, music-wise, isn't the score but the songs of this film I'll tell you right now after this movie ended first of all I listened to the author of the credits listened to the music Uh, but I went and bought the soundtrack that's how good I thought the music was the music for the film Uh, some of it's 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 got a couple of licensed tracks done for the movie in it but then the opening and closing songs are absolute bangers like I've been listening to the soundtrack all day today uh, cleaning house and doing my notes so the uh, soundtrack not the score is highly, highly recommended. Now, let's get, let's get about who played in this because it's got some big names. Unfortunately, the star, the the hero, our protagonist is not one of the big names, but I'll explain that in a little bit. But Michael Perret is how I'm gonna assume that it's pronounced because it's got an accent over the E. And that can go a lot of different ways, but I'm gonna say Perret. Uh, He's Cody. Uh, He was in Hope Floats with Sandra Bullock, the Lincoln Lawyer with Matthew McConaughey and John Carpenter's remake, A Village of the Dam with the late, great, my Superman, Christopher Reeve. And the lovely, dear God, like if you, you know, a lot of people, a lot of younger people today might be, are more familiar with Diane Lane for her like romantic comedies and stuff. But God damn, she was, she still is, in my opinion, gorgeous. She is so beautiful in this movie. I fell in love with her all over again. But she's Ellen Aim in this film. Of course, Judge Dredd. She's, you know, one of the Marthas in Man of Steel uh, Batman versus Superman, uh, The Outsiders, which uh, she also made around this time. Beautiful actress and very, very talented. And Amy Madigan last week from Field of Dreams, Mrs. Ed Harris as McCoy and Uncle Buck. Uh, she's she is fantastic in this movie. Like I'm really shocked she didn't get more kind of like cop roles after this. Uh, even though she's not really a cop, but she's kind of a tough in the film. And the always great Willem Dafoe. And I did not write down his name, but it's Raven, not the wrestler nor the drag queen. Uh, but of course, Last Temptation of Christ, The Lighthouse, Boondock Saint, Spider-Man, one of the greatest living actors, in my opinion. And in a role completely out of their wheelhouse, Rick Moranis. Wow, I really screwed up my notes because I didn't put his character name down either. Geez, I was going too fast. Too fast to write down what was what in this film. Let me jump back to that real quick. Billy Fish. Sorry. Fish, thank you. Uh, playing like an asshole. This is the first time I've never, I didn't like Rick Moranis in a movie. He's fine for the character, but I mean, you're always used to him being the goofball, the underdog or being, you know, for lack of a better word, a Rick Moranis esque character. But in this, he's like the smarmy manager who somehow date also dating Diane Lane at first, Uh, you know, so, but it's, it's really out of character for him, but you know, he's fine in it. It's just so weird because I've Mm. never seen him in a role where his character was just so unlikable. Uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg as Riva. Uh, she was Mercy in the Warriors, and a lot of t- she's done a lot of TV. Uh, most notably, Quantum Leap. Richard Lawson as Ed. Uh, he was also one of the investigators with, with uh, Zelda. I forget her last name in Poltergeist. Also in How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Uh, character actor. You see, popped up in a lot of stuff. Uh, Lee L E E space Ving. He, we talked about him before when we talked about Clue as Mr. Body. But he's Greer in this film. Uh, also, when he was in Flashdance. He's a musician. I forget the band that he was in, but uh, he's been. He's got. I think he's got more credits for soundtrack than acting hmm. from the band that he was in. Uh, Stony Jackson as Bird. Uh, got to bring baseball back into the picture. Angels in the Outfield. But also uh, co star with Ice T in Trespass. And it always must be mentioned when somebody in the cast of one of these films. He was in an episode of Hardcastle and McCormick. <laughs> Ed Bagley Jr., we talked about uh, on the Spinal Tap episode recently, was Gun, Better Call Saul, Stumpy, and Spinal Tap, as I mentioned. Transylvania 5000. character actor with over 200 credits, uh, wonderful actor. Again, short little appearance in this film. E.G. Daly as Baby Doll, veteran of the podcast, because she was Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And she does a, if you don't know, you, you probably don't know this lady from her face, but you'll know her from her voice because she does a Ton, A literal ton of voice acting, uh, but most notably, she's Tommy Pickles in Rugrats. Uh, Lynn Thigpen is the motor woman, a brief cameo, but she is com- instantly recognizable because uh, she is the chief or was the chief. She did pass away a few years ago, unfortunately, but she's the chief from where in the world is carbon san diego <laughs> and of course the voice on the radio which i feel very akin to right now talking into a microphone as she did in the classic the warriors obviously as you can see walter hill likes to use reuse some actors of course with deborah van valkenberg and lynn thigpen both showing up in this and the warriors and last but certainly not least bubba gump himself uh Kelty uh, williamson as bj of course like the iconic role of bubba gump uh, sorry just bubba they did marry get married in the movie that was a shrimp uh, company Gumb. but bubba from <laughs> Boris Gump uh, he was in the fences remake which we talked about last week too with Denzel Washington and of course one of the greatest crime movies of all time heat all right now let's talk about this movie now like i mentioned last week at the end of the episode this is a film that i've heard mentioned on other podcasts i've seen like you know people get excited when the the shout factory blu-ray came out i was like oh, okay this looks interesting never i've never seen this before until last night. And I was blown away. Uh, now, I'm not. that's not me saying like, oh, you, everybody should go out and see this. Because uh, I can tell you right now, not everybody is going to like this movie that hears the sound of my voice. But I do think it's worth everybody checking out, if not for the visual style and the music of the movie. It, this movie, from the first shot, it just drips atmosphere. Uh it's just, it's like literally the whole time. I'm just, I'm, I loved every shot of this movie. Uh, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'll get to that in a minute, but visually, uh, it's just visually and audibly it's fantastic. High, highest remark. Like it is a cult classic and I see why I wish I, w- I do wish more people had seen it, but Michael Perry is the weakest link in this movie. And he's the main character. He's got a couple of moments where he's fine, but he's not, you know, you put Kurt Russell or Michael Bean or just an actor who can keep up playing opposite Diane Lane and uh, Willem Dafoe and Amy Madigan here and Rick Moranis, you know, you have, you have a hugely amazing cast here. That's just fantastic. But your lead actor, and again, no offense to Michael Perret, I just don't think he held his own in this film. He looks, he has the look. He's got the Look. He looks like he's a badass. He's got a couple of moments where he's a badass, but you look at this guy's face. He, he, the, the, I get he, it. Sounds the whole movie. It sounds like he's trying to impersonate Sylvester Stallone. He's like, "Hey, you know, we're going to go over here. I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to go rescue Ellen from Raven. You know, you got a you know ten thousand dollars. You know, what are you do? The whole time, it sounds like he's imitating Stallone. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's part of it, but you know, it doesn't. You know, and again, I want to shit. I don't want to dump on the guy that bad. Uh, I mean, you know, he's. He's a working actor with what you say, Jesse, off camera. He's got 200 credits on IMDb, but 20, 10% of those credits are still in pre-production. Yeah, yeah, Some 21 in production, like 21 yeah, pre-production,
0: so, uh, six completed, five filming. Yeah, he's working.
1: Yeah, he's working. Which is hey, that's awesome. No, sh- no, you know, no shade there. But I mean, look at your co your co stars. Look what Diane Lane, Amy Madigan, Willem Dafoe, and Rick Moranis, and Bill Paxton went on to do you mm-hmm. know and he's the one that you know when you're watching this movie nobody's like more people are like who is this guy i would venture to say i'm sure a lot, there are a lot of michael Pere fans out there good for you not again just an opinion everybody's got them they're all valid let uh, us know how to say uh, his last name <laughs> yeah if, you, if you're, you're a big a michael pa- peray Perret- par fan let us know please uh but uh uh if this again, I, I'm telling you, if this movie had a better lead actor, it would it would have done so much better, I think. Or been more people would have absolutely seen it. It's, it's got such the supporting actors, all those names I mentioned, everybody kills it in this movie. Except Perry. It's just he's he's such an fish out of water almost in the movie. It's just like trying to be a badass, but you know, you got the look, but you ain't got the talent. It's like Roman Reigns before he was head of the table. You know, you got mm-hmm. the look. Vince loves you. I love this guy. We're gonna push him on the fans, and the fans were not having it. Mm-hmm. They are now because he finally went heel and he got over. But Michael Pere does not, to use the coin wrestling terminology, get over. At least with me in this movie. Who? And would there's this get scene over? again. What's that? Who would get over? I mean, like you know, you put a, a anybody who can just carry a, a lead role. You know, oh, okay. Michael Bean, like I mentioned, Kurt Russell. Although yeah. Kurt Russell be a little too much for it, but you know, uh, Ed Harris. Even That's true, I mean, because it just, has
0: the balance with the excellent supporting cast. So this exactly. is too much on the low end. You need someone more in the mid.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's, that's literally the only thing to me that's wrong with this movie. And I think it's a lot of people's complaint. If you watch it and you've never seen it, or if you have seen it, maybe you agree, maybe you don't, that's fine. But there's also, there's one, there's one moment in this movie that absolutely is terrible. I just burst out laughing. It's a horrible thing to laugh at, but let me me put it in context. It's a typical, basically, actually, I don't don't really want to spoil too much of the plot, actually, because I went in totally blind, didn't even know the music was a big thing in the movie. So I already kind of spoiled that for everybody. But again, Mm. the music in this movie can't give it enough praise. It's like a, you know, it's it's just a, it's 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 not really a musical, but it's kind of like Spinal Tap to where you have like a, the bookends of the movie are is a concert, and those songs are God, it opens so strong and it finishes so strong. Uh, You know, it's kind of like a smiley face. (laughs) The Mm. middle, the the beginning and end are high, and then it kind of drips a little bit. but yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of praised that a lot. But you know, the lead actor Michael Perret, just doesn't do it for me. Uh, I wish the action—the action is good, but it's it's filmed very close up. And as we all know, if you listen to the podcast, I'm a big fan of Asian, the Asian style of filmmaking when it comes to action: long cuts, big shots, wide shots. You can kind of see the action. A lot of the action, it's very close up. And you know, some of the, you know, some of it's even obscured. It's so close. Uh, you know, it gives it a style, but it's obviously not what I would do. But obviously, I'm not. Uh, Walter Hill so I wish Mm. I was I think he's got a great filmography and a great eye and I wish he would have done more wish we would do more along these lines but uh, there's this what I was getting at earlier there's a scene in the film where our hero Michael Perret has to like you know finish the job so to speak you know that typical western trope kind of thing like all right but I'm gonna cut your dying lines I'm gonna come with you you know we're gonna go together so instead of like having Amy Madigan like hold her back this motherfucker straight up cold cocks Diane Lane in the <laughs> face to knock her out. They're just, I'm like watching, they're talking on this train. Also, it's just, he knocks <laughs> the fuck out of her and he's the hero.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: just like, what? I'm, I'm like, I just immediately busted out laughing. You know, now this is 84. That is kind of, you know, I hate to say it, but <laughs> it, that is, that is somewhat stereotypical. <laughs> Sorry, took oh, a little wow. sip. I am on antibiotics now, so hey, I've already gone what at least twenty minutes without having to take a sip. That's pretty good of talking. So I am getting better. I'm getting. I am. I'm on the mend. One hundred percent. Not hundred percent, but I'm at least seventy. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, I, I'm. I, I kid y'all not. I'm watching this movie, and it's just yeah, you know when he out of nowhere, like <laughs> RKO out of nowhere, straight up just punches her in the face. That's right. Our hero punches his love interest in the face. And she's also a singer. (laughs) So, her moneymaker. I I expected the next shot of her to have, like, you know, her nose broken with this thing over her nose. And, like, (laughs) but she's still in love with him. That's my biggest, honestly, that's my biggest complaint is that our hero straight up punches the heroine one of the heroines in the fucking face to, you know, to stop her from coming after him. All you needed was Amy Madigan to hold her back. Uh, obviously I would have not done that. And mm-hmm. also it makes your hero look even more like an asshole. You succeeded. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, again, I kind I, I hate spoiling that part because I'm literally watching it for the first time. I was like, Oh, it was just like, Holy shit. It was a very <laughs> Holy shit moment. But, uh, Jesse, I would assume you've probably never seen this movie, correct? I've
0: seen it about a dozen times. No, I haven't seen it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish, uh, but I, I, you know, you're you know, if you like, if you're a fan of like music, uh, I think you would dig it, Jesse. I think you know to quote the Warriors. You, and I, I'm misquoting the Warriors, but I'm referencing the Warriors. You would dig it. Mm. Uh, but the, again, the soundtrack for this film. You know whether or not you like the movie, I think we can agree uh, the soundtrack is pretty damn good, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, I've been listening to it, listening to it, listening. If I can talk, listening to it all day. And there's, one, there's honestly, if you know my taste, there's a big reason you might guess why I like uh, the opening and ending song. We'll get to that in the trivia, which we'll start talking about r- right now. Uh, this was actually intended to be the first in a trilogy of action films, unfortunately starring Michael Paré as Tom Cody. However, it's failure at the box office, put it into the project. Like I said, this was a big flop. And, you know, I mean, Paré might be a much better actor now. I don't know. But in this film, it's just, you know, there's, if it had, you know, I I think it's, I think it's, it's got everything that it needed to be amazing. And one of Trey's like favorite new films of the, like that I've, you know, films that I've, old films that I saw for the first time, uh, you know, but it's just, he's just, he holds it back from achieving that. Unfortunately, I hate to say it. I hate to, like I said, I really don't mean to harp on it too, too much. Uh, but I mean, God damn, it's just such a, so close to greatness. That silver ring is right there. Mm. You know, when he's not talking, he's got that look, he's got the look. It's great. But it's like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to go do this. You know, we're going to do, do it for the Gipper. <laughs> that's not even, that's not even a Stallone quote, but I mean, it's just, you get the picture. Uh, the backup band for Ellen Aim, Diane Lane's character in the film, was actually the real life band of Lori Sargent, who was the one providing the singing voice for the Ellen Aim character. The band was called Face to Face. They played mainly New Wave music around the Boston area. And unfortunately, they split up in 1988. Now, regarding the music of the film, Jimmy uh, uh I think it's I know this guy, but I will Iovine, I'm not sure how you pronounce Jimmy his last Iovine, name. i know yeah. how say it. But uh, I think he's, he's, a, he's, I think he's uh, a big cohort, I say cohort, you know, co-worker, collaborator. That's the word I was looking for with Dr. Dre. Uh, produced a lot of U2 albums, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he produced five of the songs for the film and the soundtrack. Uh, for Ellen's singing voice, he combined the voices of Laurie Sargent and Holly Sherwood, billing them as Fire Incorporated. Uh, the Attackers, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. were the real-life bandmates. Uh, they did uh, – now Ellen – Uh, I'm sorry, Ellen's the character. Lori did the, it's all her vocals on the the songs Nowhere Fast, Never Be You and Sorcerer. And supporting vocals on the closer of the film, Tonight is What It Means to Be Young, which if you don't believe me, go to iTunes and just listen to the snippet of that song. That song is badass. I immediately added it to my, like, I have a, um, you know, we all have our playlist on iTunes and I have one that I just call Current. It's the current songs that I'm just super digging, my current mood. Immediately added it to that. Uh the version of Sorcerer is composed by Stevie Nicks that was featured in the actual soundtrack, but performed by Marilyn Martin. Uh the version of Never Be You that was featured on the soundtrack was also was actually performed by Maria McKee. No relation to your wife's Jesse's wife's maiden name. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Ivey uh, used
0: to not. live with uh Stevie Nicks, so that makes a lot of sense.
1: Uh well, totally. Wow. Yeah. Be a fly on the wall in that house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not in the bedroom, in, in the music room. All uh right. two songs. Now I mentioned now, the opening song, uh, Nowhere Fast, and the, close, the ending song is Tonight Is What It Means To Be Young. Both of those are written by the late, great Jim Steinman, frequent collaborator of Meatloaf, who wrote Bad Out of Hell 1, Bad Out of Hell 2. We talked about that them a couple episodes ago when Meatloaf passed away. Uh, but they were both performed by, you know, the quote, Fire Incorporated with both of the vocals uh, of, the, of Holly Sherwood and Laurie Sargent together. On them, But mm. yeah, those two songs, again, yeah, I'm a i love Meatloaf, uh, Battle Hell One and Two, and most of the three, fantastic albums, big fan. And I love like that style of songwriting is like epic fantasy rock, for lack of a better word. And it those song, you know, like I said, the film opens so strong with that opening song, kicks the plot off right away, and then it closes with uh Tonight's What It Means to Be Young, which like I said, high is, if you like just if you just like good music, that song is fucking amazing fucking fire uh highest possible recommendations just download that song it's so good i'm literally like rocking out to when i was telling jesse off the air like if i had a band if i was good enough to have a band Mm. we would cover that song at every show because that's how damn good it is and nobody's heard it except you've seen the movie you know it wasn't like it was a big hit or like a a well-known song that was you know on radio at the time i will never stop singing the praises of that song (laughs) Uh, now according According to the director, Walter Hill, the origin of the film came out of a desire to make what he thought was a what he thought was a perfect film when he was a teenager and put in all the things that he thought were, quote, great and which I still have great affection for. And these things included custom cars, kissing in the rain, neon, trains in the night, high speed pursuit, rumbles, rock stars, motorcycles, jokes in tough situations, leather jackets and questions of honor. And you know what? I'm cool with 90 percent of that. So, and all, and if you've seen the movie, all of that is in the movie. <laughs> Apparently he didn't have a, uh, he didn't have a uh, great idea for like a good, strong lead actor. Cause that would have been the, the perfect addition to all those things to make the movie even better. And I thought this was really cool. When Amy Madigan read for the film, she read for the part of the sister, Reva, which went to, uh, I forgot. Sorry. What's her name? Mercy from, uh, the Warriors. Uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg. Sorry, Deborah. I can't remember that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she told Walter Hill while she was reading, like you know, the 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 best part in the script is the sidekick, McCoy. And Walter Hill liked her so much that role was actually written for a man named Menendez, and they were actually going to try to get Edward James almost to play that part. But they love Madigan so much that renamed her the character McCoy and rewrote the part for her. And she's fan. She's a. That's why her role in this. I'm so shocked she didn't have more like. Uh, Michael Paré, despite being not my favorite actor in the world, also had issues with Rick Moranis. Uh, <laughs> so here's his lengthy little quote about working with Rick Moranis. Uh, Rick Moranis, oh, um, well, no, nah, I'm not going to imitate him. <laughs> Rick <laughs> Moranis drove me out of my mind. There's this whole wave of insult comedy in the real world. If someone insults you a couple of times, you could smack them. No, you can't. Uh, or punch them. No, right. you can't. Uh, you can't do that on a movie set. Well, Will Smith proved everybody wrong. Uh, uh-huh. And these comedians walk around and they can say whatever they want. I'm not, I'm just not that. I'm. I'm just not that handy with that. Comedians are a special breed. They can antagonize you and say whatever they want, and you can't do anything to stop them. He's this weird-looking little guy who couldn't get laid in a whorehouse with a fistful of fifties. I like that insult. But hey, what an you're asshole. Talking about Rick <laughs> yeah. asshole! He would imitate me. The first thing he says to me is, "Do you just act cool, or are you really cool?" That was the first sentence out of his mouth to me in Joel Silver's office. And I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. Wow. But he was just one of Joel's dear friends. And he ended up making a bunch of movies for Disney. I just wasn't that sharp. I wasn't ready for that kind of crap. Well, you're an asshole, Michael Pare, for saying that about Rick Moranis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you obviously, you thought you were cool. <laughs> and Rick Moranis called you out on it because you're not really cool.
0: Yeah, where was where was Michael Pare January sixth?
1: <laughs> it just, it just sounds like someone who talks like that. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh God, uh, that's that's comedy gold right there. Ew. Oh my God! Wow, joke of the episode, Jesse. Yeah, for Americans. <laughs> Comment of the episode. I think. I think the world but, knows uh, about actually, January sixth, probably by now. Yeah, at this point, because you know we're supposed to be an example, and what we're leading from behind, aren't we? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of the great and lovable Rick Moranis, he was actually really unhappy making the film, uh, pretty much because he wasn't allowed to improvise, which I, you know, him, he's a comedian. His role is the jerk of the movie, So, but not even in a cool, funny way, you know. And obviously, he didn't need to be the stereotypical Rick Moranis in this movie because that would not have worked. But he played his part exceptionally well. Uh, like I said, it's the first time I've seen him in a movie, and I didn't like him. Didn't like his character. He did fine. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. The title for this movie came from a song from Bruce Springsteen off the album Darkness on the Edge of Town, and the original plans were for the song to be featured on the soundtrack. But when Springsteen found out the song would be recorded by other vocalists, he said, nope, it's got to be me. Nobody else can record it. Which, okay, I understand that. But also, the song that Jim Steinman wrote for the end of the movie is way better than Streets of Fire by Springsteen. So, you know, sometimes things work out. And speaking of Jim Steinman, according to him, the filmmakers were convinced that they would be able to have Springsteen use the song at the end. They would get permission. But when they realized they couldn't get it in time, they asked Steinman for a song, which he wrote. Tonight is what it means to be young. He wrote the song in two days. Hmm. That's just musical genius to me. Like, and I mean, obviously he's a, a much other larger body of work of great songs. Don't get me wrong. He's written some of the greatest songs of all time. Look him up on Wikipedia. Uh, passed away uh, I think in 2020 or 2021 uh, big loss for the music world. But he wrote the end song, of this, the song from the end of this movie in two days. And to me, you know, it, it would take me a week to write a parody of old McDonald had a farm. It just blows my mind. And when people are that, you know, that's why I always tell you, Jesse, like, you know what, what, you, you know, when doing red, the soundtrack for red X and all the music stuff, it's just like, I just don't have that switch on my brain hmm. plugged in for music, you know? So, but I love, I love that. That's, that's, that's my personal tragedy. I love music but I have no rhythm and I can't play an instrument. <laughs> you know, it's a curse. Like I wish I, like, you know, if a genie appeared to me, would Trey wish for world peace? No, I wish I could be a musician. I just yeah. wish I could play and sing at the same time. And then world peace. We'll do that 2nd sec- you We'll know, cure, cure, cure cancer and all that other stuff after the fact. But I want to I <laughs> be able to, you know, I, 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 that's the thing, you know, uh, what I'm getting at is, You know, I, I, I would say I'm a jack of many trades, master of none, as that saying kind of goes, you know, I can appreciate art, but I can't paint, you know, I can, I can paint at a rudimentary level. I, I, I can't, I appreciate music, but I can't make music, good music. At least my daughter loves my songs, but that's about it. Mm. Uh, but she's four. So mm. <laughs> I'm hit with four-year-olds, uh, you know, I wish I could make a movie, which, you know, if any, if anything I know I could make a movie, you know, I know I could do that. I feel like I have a, the skill set to where I could adequately do that with, the time and money and, in my, in my personal case, the drive to do it, which my tank's always you know three-quarters filled, unfortunately, when it comes to that, unless the people around me are running on a full tank like you, Jesse. <laughs> uh, so, But anyway, back to the, the movie and not you know Trey's midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> Jack, I mentioned before, James Horner, the late, great James Horner, wrote three different scores for this film before he ultimately left the project in favor of director Walter Hill's preferred composer, Fry Cooter, which uh, maybe not the best choice, Walter, but hey, it's your movie. You do what you want. Uh, production designer John Vallone and his team constructed an elevated train line on the back lot of Universal Studios that perfectly matched the ones in Chicago. Because as I'm watching, I'm like, this movie looks like a back lot, but There's an elevated train in it. Yeah, they built all that. And also wow. the entire set, because it's pretty much 99% filmed at night, even though it technically wasn't filmed at night. They had a massive tent covered the entire back lot so they could shoot day for night. And just that alone cost $1.2 million in 84 money to have a tent that big to cover so they could shoot during the day and make it look like night. But hey, it looks like I said, this film looks amazing. Uh, And then according to Michael Perret, who thinks he's cool and hates Rick Moranis, Ah, uh, the original draft of the script had his character kill Raven, well, Nefo's character, with a knife. However, this was changed to a quote-unquote fair fight, in order to get a PG rating. The film was originally rated R, edited down by Universal's desire to get the, to stay at PG. Uh, they were screened for exhibitors as an R, but uh, the trims that they took out were a number of F bombs. Uh, topless dancers uh in one part and a different ending and the credits which actually roll over the final number which i think is that's the best change they did was not have the credits start until after the final number uh kind of bookends the movie with the opening concert and the ending concert and i think that's really really uh crucial i think to like the flow and the style of the film uh, an unofficial sequel titled "Road to Hell" was made in 2008, directed by Albert Pyun, with Pare playing Tom Cody again and Mercy Deborah Van Valkenberg reprising her role as his sister. But uh, if it's just them in it, no offense, Deborah, but uh, I don't really care about it. <laughs> and in case this, this the film's legacy, honestly, more so is that it was the inspiration. For two of the greatest and most genre-defining side-scrolling beat-em-ups in history. 1989's Final Fight and the iconic, and better in my opinion, Streets of Rage from 1991. So there's your trivia. Take a sip. Streets of Fire, Streets of Rage.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, big stretch on that one. Yeah. But a score wise, I'll tell you right now, if this film again, if this film had a better lead and he didn't cold cock Diane Lane in the face to get her to stay behind, (laughs) I would give it probably a nine. But as it is, I give it a seven. Uh, I really enjoyed the look, the atmosphere. So much about this movie was just fun. And it does what a movie does. It takes you to another place. Uh, And like I said, the music. The music's the real star, despite the fact, aside from Diane, the co-stars, the main character, the main star of the film is the movies. The supporting cast stands on its own. All of the supporting casts have gone on to main headlining roles in movies, except Michael Paré. And that kind of tells you every. I mean, of course, he's headlined some movies. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? Name one. There's my challenge. Name one of them. Uh, so bottom line, it's I, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I can't stress that enough. I'm not saying it's for everybody. Not everybody's going to like it, obviously. But it, it hit all my buttons pretty much. And if, if anything, just go to YouTube and watch the end song uh, tonight. I can't fucking remember the name. Tonight is what it means to be young. Uh, that song is just badass. And Diane Lane, I totally buy her as a front woman for a rock band. Totally. Even though it's not her voice. <laughs> but uh, really, really solid film. So glad I finally watched it. This is a movie like I, I kind of hate myself for not seeing it sooner. Um, uh, as a kid, I might not have liked it, as I don't think, as much. Uh, you know, if I saw it, at 80, well, I was four years old in 84, so I definitely wouldn't have liked it when I was four years old. But you're singing it in the 90s or something, you know, I probably would have dug the music. It's probably the same opinion. But uh, like I said, it's well made. It's just literally those two sticking points are what stopped this film from being something that I would recommend to everybody, bar none. Uh, so, but regardless if you're, if you made it this far and you're listening, I recommend it. I highly recommend it. Jesse, I, you know, with your musical aptitude, I think you would probably like it because it's kind of like, uh, like I said, it's kind of like, it's, it, it's kind of in the vein of Spinal Tap almost, you know, how you have the music, the music coming up. It's, uh, like Purple Rain even, I guess it's almost, I, yeah. that's a better example. It's more akin to Purple Rain, uh, with all the, 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 the performing in it because it involves rock stars and bike gangs and kissing in the rain and all that kind of stuff that Walter Hill wanted as a kid in a movie. So that's the bottom line because <laughs> Trey has said so. Uh, in the real world, this released again, June 1st, 1984, five days later in the world of video games uh, to keep it on that. Since we just talked about that with streets, rage and final fight, Tetris was officially released in the Soviet union on the Electronica 60 uh, in June six. So this movie is as old as Tetris. However, Tetris is pretty much on every phone in the country, and this movie is on a few people's physical media shelf in their entertainment centers. And a few days earlier, though, Nia Jax, uh, I didn't realize this, Australian-born American professional wrestler. Uh, I didn't realize she was Australian, or at least born in Australia. Mm. Uh, But also considered one of the stiffest competitors in recent memory every time you watch uh, any kind of uh, wrestlers talk about her since she's no longer WWE. Very stiff in the right. ring, which is not a good thing if you are a wrestler. Back to the future, Jesse. We just recorded last week's episode a couple of days ago, so I have done nothing, but <laughs> play Evil Dead the Game and watch Streets of Fire. Evil Dead the Game, uh, look, quick update, still loving it, still recommend it if you like that kind of game. However, it's been out for a week and a half, so you know what that means. Uh, people have found the exploits when they play as the demon. Uh, and I found the weak links in playing as the people as the survivors. Which uh, my biggest gripe with the game right now is that uh, when you're basically when you get hit, you, your action is canceled. If you're trying to open something or pick up something, your action is canceled. You're trying to revive somebody. If you get hit, you're canceled. This applies to healing because there's an animation of pulling out a can and drinking it. If you get hit during that animation, you don't get hit healed and you lose your uh, you know you're, you're getting hit. You're taking the damage. And you're losing your heel and you have to, you know, so if you got two demons on you and it's, you know, they're not like doing synchronized survivor killing, you know, hitting you at the same time. If one's like, pop, 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 you can absolutely not heal. Period. <laughs> uh, at least it kind
0: of makes it, sense, though. Like in Days Gone, you could be being attacked by like eight zombies at once and you could be bandaging your arm
1: <laughs> or you could be you, you could know, be crafting realism, a bottle. <laughs> Yeah, realism, 100%, I agree with you. But the great <laughs> game designer, Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear and Death Stranding fame, mm-hmm. he, one of his quotes, always appreciate and always like to apply to situations like this, the realism should never interfere with the gameplay.
0: Yeah, the fun. And the thing
1: is, and exactly, I mean, because I play support. If I go down, it's a big deal for the team, and that's the biggest thing that you face in games like this, is to where, you know, the person who's playing the hunter class is using a melee weapon when the hunter class is meant to use range weapon. If you want to do damage and kill un- the deadites with a range weapon, you pick hunter. If you want to do it with an axe, you pick the warrior. Now, of course, you do still need to have a melee weapon because it, it comes down to that, obviously. But your skill's shooting. My mm-hmm. skill is healing. I'm yelling at some dude the other day. It's like he kept... He's, he was playing Enri the Red from Army of Darkness. You know, the ones only thing two things. Jack and shit. And Jack left town because <laughs> I'm full of the old Ed quotes today, playing this game. That's the funnest part about it. But uh, he has an ability where he becomes invincible for a few seconds, which is great. Uh, but he doesn't use it like I'm like, he kept he kept the second somebody would go down. He wouldn't use that skill. He would just go try to heal him. There is a trophy, an achievement or whatever for healing or, uh, you know, resuscitating so many people. So I imagine that's why he's doing it. Or maybe he's just ignorant trying to help out. But the only class that gives perks to the people who you are reviving is the support class. So if I revive them, they come back with plus 20% health instead of coming back clinging on to life. It mm. benefits nobody for the leader, attack, a hunter or warrior class to raise anybody unless your support is down. And the only person you should be raising is a support so they could go raise the other people. This game has so many mechanics, it has a depth to it. <laughs> that uh let me take a sip
0: mm. i just remembered something i did uh, watch so i do have something to
1: cover. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect let me wrap this up so you can talk and my voice can rest yeah but uh that's that's where we're at we're at that point of the game now and with every game uh there comes a point to where me as a casual you know i'm a hardcore gamer in terms of i play games a lot but i'm casual and multiplayer you know i don't i don't sit there and play all weekend i wasn't playing evil dead i played it whenever i could get it in you know when Violet was asleep or when, you know, she didn't need my attention, I could get away for a little bit. But the demon class needs a nerf. It is, they're, they're, they found, like, the tricks that can pretty much kill any, if you know these two tricks, I'm not going to say them. Because, A, I don't play as a demon, so I might be saying them wrong. And, B, I don't want to spread that shit out there and keep ruining the game. Because when I play, I'm trying to level, the human characters go to 25. And that doesn't mean your your skill tree is maxed out. You have to specialize your skill tree. My character is as support is specialized in keeping my team alive and healthy. So my point is, when you play games that involve you to be a, when you are specialized, don't step on the toes of the people and their specialities. I'm not going around trying to melee everything because I can't do shit. It takes me five hits to kill a deadite. Scotty, you can kill it in one hit, dude. Don't, you know, don't run past me when you see me meleeing something to go pick up an axe that you think are open or loot a crate. because you know what? Kill the fucking deadites first, then loot the goddamn crate. Yep. End of rant. Sorry. It just gets <laughs> so, that's, and see, it's more crucial in Evil Dead the game that people do that as it, in Friday the 13th, it didn't matter. If I saw somebody running for the car, I'm like, well, fuck you, buddy. I'm out of here because you could survive in Friday the 13th, the game in more ways than one. Uh, So in Evil Dead, the game, the only way to win as a human is is there's one path to victory. And that's a, you know, when you have a team that works together, it's 100% fine. Who knows what they're doing? When you have a team that doesn't, when you have people who are playing the hunter class using a pistol and trying to res everybody and, you know, not listening. Like, I'm dropping a heal and they run away from you the second you say it. Like, oh, God, I don't want to be healed. That's mm. that's the that's the detriment to the game, and that's the reason why. Honestly, I guarantee you, a lot of people don't like these kinds of games because it's Evil Dead. If you're playing as a demon, you're by yourself, you're fighting people. It's all up to you. When you're playing as a human, you 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 ap- if you, you cannot go one on one with a demon and win in this game. In terms of like, if if I was the only if all my all my team died in the first five minutes, there is no way that I could win unless a the demon let me win, or they're literally like level one and don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like, it's the first time playing as the demon. Then you I might be able to squeeze out a victory. But it is 100% dependent, if you're playing as a survivor, that your team is not shit. Can one person be shit? Yes. Can two? If you and your other person who are not shit are good? Probably. If you're watching each other's back, utilizing your skills and weaknesses, you might be able to do it. But it's going to be very, very difficult. And if it's a high-level demon player, the answer is no. So, oh, wow. But regardless... I love the game, but it is at that point where it's kind of time for a patch to kind of adjust some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because I mean, I'm a healer, like, and like,
0: it's oh, almost like ahead, a sorry. big uh, beta test right now. You know, with everybody finally getting to do it.
1: Yeah, well, so. it's, it's, I would I would've it to Elden Ring because I started. Mm-hmm. I didn't play Elden. I got Elden Ring when it came out, but I didn't start it until I finished Horizon Forbidden West. So I, I didn't start playing Elden Ring to like three weeks to a month after it came out. Cause I didn't want to, I, I knew the time investment was there. So I wanted to finish the other time investment before I started the new one. And by the time I started, there were some bosses I couldn't beat. So I, I would go online, like, you know, what are some good tactics or tips to beat this boss? And I see all these cheese method. Oh, this boss, you can actually glitch the mat by going here. First comment, you know, that video is a month old. Oh, it's already been patched out. That's what yeah. you do. You know, that's, that's a good developer when, you know, the game, you know, when there are exploits, I'm using the term exploits you know, you patch that out so the game's played how it needs to be. But I mean, it's ridiculous that in Evil Dead the game, I literally cannot heal myself, period. Because I'm just getting I, I can't get away. And like you have stamina so you you can dodge the hits. I was talking to some I was play I played a match before I got on here and dude's like he's like, Well that's that's what happens when you get hit. Them. I'm like, Well, dude, you're not I know I know that. I'm not I'm talking shit about the fact that, you know, it becomes a point where it is impossible to heal and you get burned down. Like and you can't do anything. That is the problem. You have a stamina meter. Your stamina runs out. You can dodge twice, and then you have to let it heal. You you, uh, you know uh, regenerate. So I'm um, there and if an enemy's coming at you, you can dodge once. But the time between dodging once and popping a heal is not enough time for them not to just catch up to you and hit you. Mm. So there's your fix. You know if you are if you dodge, you need like or if you're healing, you need like an iframe or something. You need trying to heal, you have to have an eye frame, bottom line. But anyway, Jesse, Uh as I need to take another sip to moisten my on-the-men (laughs) throat, let me turn it over to you for what you've been doing while I do that. I mean, like you mentioned, it's only been like three days since we last recorded,
0: but uh, I discovered a new YouTube uh, channel called Real Stories. This is where the Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows documentary ended up living, which um, Hmm. I'm surprised this... uh, Got an okay from WWE because it makes them look awful.
1: Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> when it came out. It was like a big thing.
0: Yeah, and this takes place from. I mean, it's it's a documentarian that fo- was following him around, following around Bret Hart, way before the screw job, the Montreal screw yeah. job. But it leads up to that. <laughs> so I'm not sure if WWE was involved in it. In fact, I b- don't believe they were because. By the end, they they leave Bret Hart mic'd up whenever he goes and has that final meeting with Vince. Oh,
1: that's and, how we have that footage and all that stuff of Vince like limping out of the room because his face got busted.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, they're like, don't look at the camera. So I'm guessing they just was holding it up and uh, not really aiming it. Well, just aiming it below their waist and stuff like that. It's just, um, yeah, because it's
1: that low profile.
0: Yeah. So I think Bret was the only one aware of it. Um, I just think it plays out really nice, like the way this document documentary is made. It's uh, I don't know why they started filming to begin with. To be honest, I guess just because he's Bret Hart, follow him around, but it ended up yeah, becoming a situations. thing. Yeah, it ended up having yeah, a storyline.
1: Well, it's like I think it's akin to that situation with September 11th, with those French brothers who were they—they fil- they were just doing the documentary on the fire station. Mm. and they happen to be filming on 9 11 and you know the the only the clearest footage of the first plane hitting and you know they're in the towers it's all going on wow. right place right time they happen to be doing the you know Bret Hart documentary when you know the biggest you know, one of the biggest controversies, <laughs> that picture right there uh <laughs> the biggest controversies in, in wrestling one of the one of the one of the biggest ever and speaking of the hearts uh today we're recording this on uh may 23rd 2022 Today is, unfortunately the I think uh, the 23rd anniversary of Owen Hart passing away. Yeah. So always rest in peace Owen. But uh yeah, that docu- I remember no. that when I remember watching that documentary when it came out uh, cuz of Video Rama and Walker Louisiana had it on uh VHS or uh, no, Blu-ray, I think I mean I'm sorry, not Blu-ray, DVD. I was like, "Oh, yes, hell yeah, I want to see this." And just watching I'm like, "Yo, you my boy, Brett."
0: But uh yeah, yeah it's a so really good do- if it was that far back, it was before like they, you know, stopped doing the key fave and, you know, were they still WWF at that point? I guess or, I,
1: I believe so. I mean, my history on you know, I can't yeah. about. I don't. You don't even remember when that happened, you know. But you <laughs> I, know, think, I think I think it had to be because it was still, they were still WWF during when they were fighting WCW. I think one, it? it was still W. I yeah, because know. the
0: film ends with saying Bret Hart is now working for Ted Turner's WCW. So Mm -hmm. this had to be before, you know, WWE or WWF at the time decided, okay, we're going to start looking behind the scenes. And what this film does is a huge look behind the scenes. (laughs) So if, you know, people at the time believed this was any sort of reality, this tore it down. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: It's still real to me, damn it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But real stories in general, uh, as a YouTube channel, it's just like a bunch of documentaries. And the thing that got nice. me watching it at first was um, a documentary about uh, fentanyl, uh, the fentanyl problem with uh, you know mixing into heroin and stuff like that. And it covers like their, the issue in Vancouver, which I think Vancouver was recently voted as the best place to live, and. There's these like seven blocks in Vancouver that are not the not the best place to live. And uh, that's the
1: reason that it's not like super like I mean, every town has its area but yeah.
0: And, and you know there's been a lot of popular fentanyl deaths like Prince he died from mm-hmm. fentanyl.
1: Michael Jackson I think it was a mixture of fentanyl and something else. Yeah,
0: and then any any former uh, heroin addict you may know has dealt with this issue? Um, I know. Cover me, Anthony. Being a former mm-hmm. addict, has known lots of his friends dying. Um, mm. One of that's our rough. guys uh, from from uh, Tim's movie. Um, oh yeah, has you know is no longer with us. But uh, you know, I associate it with fentanyl just because that's what's really going down in Baton Rouge. is a lot of that problem.
1: Yeah, I mean it's opioid epidemic.
0: Yeah, so yeah, that took me to this channel, and I just started
1: watching a bunch of documentaries on it. But, nice, I'm gonna cool channel. Cool subscriptions channel. right now. Yep. Because documentaries are—if you don't watch documentaries, you're missing out because it'll give you a lot of. And of course, always my advice: always research your documentaries too. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting a, a, a fair a fair uh view of whatever's being portrayed, but the ones I uh, but, watched you
0: know, are pretty self-explanatory they're not like trying to feed you information they're just showing you things showing that's what a good
1: documentary does you're documenting something so yeah i always love a really good documentary i would definitely absolutely and i have done it and the
0: thing that got me there was a like a little reddit clip from the fentanyl thing was uh they were interviewing a drug dealer and he was like 10 10 bucks a flap you get some fentanyl and he was like, wow. and the guy, wonder. yeah, yeah. It's they order it from China for $400 and then they process it here and they sell that $400 and make a hundred K off of it. So, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's selling diamonds basically. But um, the drug dealer was so honest with the documentary, uh, the filmmaker, because he was like, so you would sell this to me right now knowing it could kill me. He's like, yeah, if you want it. He's like, um, will I die from this? He's like, depends on your tolerance. He's like, well, I've never wow. taken it before. He's like, yes, 100%, you will die from this. <laughs> wow. And he's oh. like, you would still sell it to me. He's like, yep, it's your life, bro. <laughs> you
1: know, I mean, I hate to say this. I agree with the drug dealer. You know? Yeah,
0: everyone uh, did. Everyone did. Because, you know, he yeah, was I mean, upfront with you. He's honest. And, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you go to the store, you go to the gun shop, you buy guns. You buy yeah. bullets. Every one of those bullets in that thing can kill you. You go to yep. the store, you buy bleach. You drink bleach, you're gonna fucking die.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean it's not like that, he introduced it as here. he didn't say, you know, this is heroin. Yeah, you know, he didn't say that. Because he was like, If if this was heroin, you would you would live. You know, even if you've mm-hmm. never done it before. But this this will kill you.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's scary. I mean it's scary, but I mean, hey, you know, that's you know, that's one reason you have documentaries. So, like, wow, you know, that's and that's how easy it is, you know.
0: Mm hmm.
1: People don't. I think one of the biggest problems, one of the pro, one of the big problems in this country, too, is, you know, the selfishness and the not being not understanding that other people, you know, the old adage, you know, walk a mile in other people's shoes, like, you know, just how easy it is for that for things to happen and for people who think that they're all like, you know, or think they have their heads grounded in reality or whatever to get easily lost in something like that. Yeah. You know, Ten bucks. Do you know how much weed I can get for $10? bucks? Yeah. 0 <laughs> Yeah, You know? Uh-huh. And that shit, you know, nobody, nobody has ever died from marijuana. <laughs> yep. Smoking marijuana, <laughs> you know? But this $10 thing that will kill you is like, you know, that's... And that's, people you know, want the, the stuff
0: that'll kill you because it's like color-coded. And, you know, they hear this dark green color will kill you. And so, like, that's what I want. It's like, wow. because I can tolerate it, but then it turns out they can't. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, tolerance is a real thing, but you know, at the same time, and, and the thing is, is to do if somebody, if anywhere along that chain of getting it from China, processing it to your hand, gets mixed up.
0: Yeah, yeah, you yep. know. Well, it's all always made in some nasty, seedy area. <sighs> it's not made with cleanliness in mind. Yeah, in it's, mind at all. It's just, <laughs> yeah, they just want to get it out there, ASAP. So yeah, it, I recommend watching it. It's um, I learned a lot, you know, because you always hear about this issue. I'm like, you get to hear it from all sides too. It's an hour long. Yeah. It's a, it's a good watch.
1: Yeah, it's a perfect length. You know, get you. Here's the here's the facts. Here's the point of views. Make your decision. You know, grow as a human being. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's called like the that. tragic fentanyl problem narcotics documentary on uh, real stories.
1: And I'm, I assure you, somebody you know is probably dealing with that. Somebody mm-hmm. in your circle, or at least you know, it's so you know. all oh, that that stuff happens in new you know, typical red state person. All that stuff, all that stuff from that's that California. You know, it's not. This stuff is in every neighborhood in America. and, every, so, and everybody's they interview you know some of the
0: addicts. They're like they're always saying, um, "Oh, you chose to do it. You stopped." He's like, "Yeah, I chose one time. The rest of the times, I did not choose this." It's wow. A, yeah.
1: If that doesn't like, you know, bring like bring it home, I mean, come on. That's yeah. That's frightening. Yeah. Absolutely frightening.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: check out that check out the Evil Dead game and check out that Real Stories YouTube channel as I have now subscribed because I'm going to be perusing that every time I eat a meal. Yeah. Because we eat our meals at the counter and I watch YouTube while I eat <laughs> supper now. Uh that's how life has evolved from sitting in front of the TV watching the news to sitting at the bar watching YouTube. Yep. So uh as I promised last week, uh we did get a couple emails from Thomas Strickland. Uh one of them, Tom, I'm just gonna read the the latest one. The other one you were he was giving more information on the cruise and all that, which I read. Very good email. I appreciate it. But uh the second email is much more on air uh Interesting to put it that way, Tom. But, uh, we'll, you know, I always do appreciate the emails, everybody. Uh, 80srevisited at gmail.com if you want your email read. Uh, but Tom says, Hey, folks, uh, have you seen some of the great fan made Batman films on YouTube? If you have, then just hit the delete button. I'll link some in case you have not. The the first one he linked is one that I saw a long time ago. It's called Batman Dead End. Uh, this is that's one of the, uh, it might not be the oldest fan film, but it's, it's the first time that I really paid attention to a Batman fan film because, uh, Batman looked like he stepped right out of a Alex Ross drawing painting, I should say. Uh, and the ending is crazy. <laughs> mm. I'll leave it at that. So you've never seen the fan film Batman dead end. I get, you know, Thomas gives it a recommendation and so do I. It's even for it's even today. I haven't, I haven't seen it in years, uh, but even at the time, and I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on the limbs that even today, it's still pretty damn good for a fan film. Batman looks good. Visually striking. And I know the same guy uh, that did it, Sandy Calora, uh, did another, and actually, oh, actually, uh, yeah, he has another one that uh, Thomas linked, Batman and Superman World's Finest, uh, on YouTube as well. Uh, Superman was actually played by one of the American Gladiators, Tom says. Uh, and the Joker in the Dead End one uh, was played by one of the, the actor was Boner on some of the 80s shows. He killed himself shortly after this. Yikes. Ugh. Not a good thing. But he also released one called Grayson from 2004 and Batman Dying is Easy on YouTube. So I'm sure if you just Google those or search those on YouTube, you can find them. I've seen the first two, haven't seen the second two. Hmm. Uh, And he goes on to say, now stepping back into the 80s, there was a Lone Ranger movie in 81. I didn't know that. The the Legend of the Lone Ranger. He linked the YouTube on there, so it's on YouTube. And he's thinking, and uh, Tom goes on to say, now you're thinking, okay, Tom, so what? Well, if you've never done a revisited to it, which is so much better than Depp's movie, I want to give you an awesome fun fact. The Lone Ranger is the great, great uncle of the Green Hornet. This is how the Reeds had money to make the newspapers was their silver mine. So don't think that the 2011 movie was the true Green Hornet. Look at this fan film from France, which he leaks another one. Uh, if anybody's interested in the leaks, I'll post them on our Facebook page. Just let me know if you want them. Uh, the Green Hornet TV show, fun fact, the reason, only reason it lasted 18 shows was ABC cannot not fight anyone to work with Bruce Lee. Stuntmen were quitting on the spot that fighting uh, Bruce Lee. And when Van Williams and Bruce Lee came on the Batman show, Adam West not only had extra insurance put on himself from the Lords of London, but have the costume department put extra padding in the cow and anything else they could. <laughs> I got that straight from Adam West himself at a Batfest in Baltimore. I hope you're enjoying some of these. If you've never seen them, Tom. Uh, Tom, again, thanks for the email. No, I did know the Long Ranger and the Green Hornet were related in a sense. And uh, I haven't seen that TV movie you mentioned, but I actually, the, de- the uh, Army Hammer, Army, the Cannibal Hammer, uh, <laughs> and Johnny Depp's Long Ranger movie, uh, directed by, I think Gore Verbinski, I think did that one. He of the Pirates franchise. Uh, I like the movie. Uh, it was too long. It is absolutely too long. They should have cut out about forty damn minutes of it. Uh, it's still fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, the end is the only part I've seen more than once because the part, basically the part where the Lone Ranger thing comes in. That's the end. That's the part I've seen a couple of times because that's the best part of the entire movie. Uh, and then I did like Army Hammer until recently. <laughs> Uh, mainly because he used to, he, he's done some fun roles. Uh, Mirror, Mirror, uh, I thought he was, I thought he was a fine Lone Ranger. Uh, what else? Uh, the Man from Uncle with Henry Cavill, uh, but in Jewel of the Nile or uh, wait, not Jewel of the Nile. Sorry, Murder on the uh, Death on the Nile. Excuse me, uh, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Didn't like his character. Not I don't like him as a serious, like dramatic, like kind of overactor. I guess maybe that's just how what the script and the director Kenneth Branagh wanted. But uh, he's more – I thought I like him more as a quirky actor, but, of course, with all this controversy about him, we might not see him too much. Uh, and with Johnny Depp's controversy, too, we might not see him for a while as well. But I did like uh, – I give it a passing grade, so to speak, the, the uh, Johnny Depp Lone Ranger movie from a few years ago. Uh, but, yeah, the Green Hornet movie with Seth Rogen, uh, it was fun, but it wasn't – I mean, come on, it's not really the Green Hornet. Uh, I did like – I watched the 66 Batman. I mentioned that before on the show. Uh I've seen a few episodes of the Green Hornet mainly because that was when I after I was became infatuated with most young kids with Bruce Lee. Uh Green Hornet was a pretty great show for the time too. The crossover episode with Batman was fantastic. And that is absolutely hilarious to me that Adam West gets extra insurance and puts extra padding in the bat suit. And it's cool that it turned it mm-hmm. straight from him and got to see him in person at Batfest of Baltimore. So especially since he is, you know, in that big bat cave in the sky. So, as always, thanks for the emails. I always appreciate them. And again, eighties revisited at gmail.com. On Facebook, eighties revisited Podcast. On Instagram, 80s underscore Revisited. And check out our friends, uh, Far and Near, John, with his Cajun Toy Review. Recently did a really good review of uh, on Friday the 13th, a couple of weeks ago, uh, of, of the, the Part 3, Jason. And as always, always check out to see what uh, the Doom is up to. in TCW, Tasmanian Championship Wrestling, our good friend, uh, Ben Wyatt. There And of course, we appreciate if you leave a review and if you leave a bad review, all we ask is just, hey, tell us what's wrong. Might be able to fix it if it's a valid complaint and not just because we're woke, quote unquote, woke (laughs) for caring about other human beings. So, uh, oh, Jesse, I see you're watching uh, The Dead End. I don't know if you've seen it before, but yeah, that's the ending. (laughs) You've already seen kind of where it goes.
0: Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. It was a long, long time ago I watched this.
1: Yeah, still, I mean, uh, still looks damn good. Still looks real good. I mean, that's a fan film, man. It looks Mm -hmm. great. Captures the comic book feel really well. So that's it for this week. Next week, we're going to camp. Not Ernest, because we've done that one already. But the camp we're going to involves outer space, as we're going to be covering one of my favorite films as a kid, but I haven't seen it in a long time, probably at least 20 years from the 80s, involving both camps and space, and starring one of my crushes from the 80s as well. Uh, I think it's still Mrs. Spielberg, Kate Capshaw. I, I think they, or maybe they separated and got back together. I'm not sure if they're still together. I'll get back to you on that next week when we talk about Space Camp starring the Joker. I'm not going to tell you which one, but if you, if you know, you know. So one of the Jokers, speaking of Batman, is in Space Camp. So we'll talk about that next week. I did look it up. It is not streaming anywhere. So my apologies. Uh, there's no real way to watch it unless you get on Amazon and buy it on Blu-ray or DVD. Uh, that's your choice. But if you've seen it, we're going to talk about it. A uh, lot of fond memories of that film from back when I wanted to be an astronaut and then Challenger happened and I didn't want to ever get on a space shuttle again. But we will talk about that next week as my voice will be even better and probably not have to take a sip every 10 minutes as opposed to five minutes last week and the week before that. So until then, everybody, stay safe. Watch, or excuse me, listen to the soundtrack of Streets of Fire mm. and make me happy and proud to be... Trey Harris, Jesse Sedgley, Cowabunga!